Hey, Scott Walker here on You Can't Recall Courage, our weekly podcast. Thanks for joining us today. You know, a lot going on. Uh, part of my sanity guys over the years is that I, I uh, uh, pray and read devotions every day. I, uh, I exercise. I try to eat healthy. I don't read the post on social media after I put something up on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. And uh, until lately, I've talked about how I, I don't watch the Democrat presidential uh, campaign campaign. Uh, debates on, on TV. Every every month when they have a new debate, someone asked me about it. I said, I didn't watch it. I'll, I'll see, watch or I look at a little bit of the social media coverage online, but I don't watch it because it'd just be too aggravating. So I said, those are the things that help keep my sanity. Another part to add to that list is I'm not watching the impeachment hearings. Again, I'm, I've seen uh, a number of the things on Twitter. I've seen a number of the posts, social media. It seems like more than anything, it's just a big dud. Um, I, I loved... Uh, Congressman Jordan's uh, response, I think it was one of the early days, talking about, um, he said, so you, the president didn't say this to you directly. You didn't talk to the president. You weren't in these conversations, uh, and you're the start witness. Uh, again, just a lot of what we predicted, uh, this was about impeaching the president and really defeating the president from day one. I can relate to that. Maybe some other day we'll discuss that with our recall where they uh, they took out the— uh, they actually took the uh, the name RecallScottWalker.com, the domain, and bought it on November 2nd, 2010, the day we won the election. So a lot of similarities we can relate to. But I thought one of the things that hasn't gotten a lot of coverage is what's happened in the recent election results and a little preview on what's going to happen tomorrow on Saturday, um, November 16th. It's an unusual date. It's a runoff election for governor in Louisiana. That's because, uh, in a way that's unprecedented for someone to come back and win, the incumbent uh, governor was unable to get over 50% of the vote on the original date back in October. So there's a runoff. A lot of talk at the time, obviously, the media cycles kind of moved on with all the impeachment hearings and all the other nonsense out there. But I think it's really worthwhile to examine what's going to happen tomorrow and how it relates to what happened in places like Kentucky. Uh, what happened in Mississippi, what happened in Virginia. Uh, in Kentucky, obviously, uh, my good friend, uh, the governor of the Commonwealth of Kentucky, Matt Bevan, a great conservative, uh, was defeated. Uh, I've gone through the canvassing of that, but it was really razor thin. You're, you're talking about uh, just under one and a half million votes cast in total uh, as of election night. Uh, Andy Beshear, uh, the son of the former governor, uh, the person that Matt Bevan took the place of, and the uh, current attorney general in Kentucky, had uh, 709,577 votes. That's 49.19% of the vote. Governor Bevan had 704,388. That's 48.83% of the vote. And uh, a guy named John Hicks, the Libertarian candidate, actually got 28,425 votes. So if you think your vote doesn't matter, if you think you're throwing it away, arguably Matt Bevin is probably the most Libertarian of the elected governors in the country. And uh, I'm sure as it is in other states, uh, people run Libertarian, Green, you name it, whatever party. And sometimes people give them a vote because they think, well, I'm going to make a statement. In this case, the statement Arguably, I think you make a convincing case that with over 28,000 votes, when a few thousand votes was the difference between Bevan and Bashir, uh, that certainly the votes, if they hadn't, or at least not at that volume, if, you had, if John Hicks, the Libertarian, hadn't gotten received nearly 2% of the vote, 
uh, Bevan uh, might have been reelected. That being said, though, the media, of course, immediately jumped on Bevan's loss, or at least uh, appeared loss. They're, they're still going through the, uh, the, the process of the canvas. Um, although I know from my own experience looking at races, it's uh, not only at mine but others, it's a really difficult process to go through, particularly in this day and age uh, where so much of this is done electronically. But the, the larger deal that the media by and large is overlooked is looking at the rest of the statewide offices in Kentucky. If this was some sort of blue wave happening, even in Kentucky, where the president did extremely well in 2016, where he continues to be, by most polls out there, uh, very, very popular. The fact of the matter is, if you look at the rest of the statewide office holders, Secretary of State, uh, 52.26, so just over 52% of the vote went to Michael Adams, a Republican who won the election for Secretary of State. An Attorney General, Daniel Cameron, um, received almost 58% of the vote. He's a Republican. He actually was the legal counsel. Uh, for U.S. Uh, United States Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. This was clearly a race aligned with him. Uh, he becomes the first Republican to win the office of Attorney General in Kentucky since World War II and the first African-American ever, ever to be elected Attorney General in Kentucky. He's Republican. He won with 57.75% of the vote. The auditor of public accounts didn't even know they had an elected office like that, but the auditor one with 55.65% of the vote, a Republican. And the state treasurer um, was elected with over 60% of the vote. Allison Ball, Republican. Commissioner of Agriculture, 58.21%. Ryan Quarles. Uh, each of these were Republican candidates who ran in Kentucky and won in a number of cases with with uh, close to, or in one case, over 60% of the vote. So if there was some broad-based reaction uh, to the president, to Republicans in general, that was veering its head even in Kentucky, where up until now the president's been very popular. I, I just think the results don't bear that out. A lot of talk with folks who've been on the ground, talk to folks with the Republican Governors Association and others who really played an active, active role in this race. And Matt Bevin, who I love, who was a remarkably good governor, but got caught up in a lot of the controversies out there on pensions for teachers and other issues. And, uh, and really tried to nationalize this race because they wanted people to turn out. This is really an off-off cycle election. It's not just off like last November was in 2018. This is one of those elections where very low voter turnout because a lot of people don't realize there's an election. It's 2019. There's only a handful of states out there, Kentucky, Mississippi, and uh, Louisiana that have uh, this fall have gubernatorial elections. Virginia as well had some state legislative races, but most people aren't talking about this, particularly in light of all the nonsense in Washington with impeachments and things of that nature. So by any stretch of the imagination, if you're going to make the argument that the Kentucky governor's race is somehow reflection on uh, the public's reaction to Republicans and the president, that's just a bogus argument because you look at all these other races uh, where Republicans won convincingly. Then you look at Mississippi, of course, of course, a Republican won there, the lieutenant governor. Um, he'll do a fine job, I'm sure. Uh, from what I understand from Rebecca Clayfish, who was the former lieutenant governor when I was governor, um, the, the new governor is going to be great, did a great job as lieutenant governor. You know, but compared to Phil Bryant, the current governor, who was governor for eight years and was lieutenant governor under Haley Barber, you know, the new governor's got a challenge in the sense that he's following two really bigger-than-life personalities. And he was running against the attorney general, a Democrat who was pretty popular and had been for some time. And so 
This race was a win for Republicans. Some in the media, some pundits say, oh, it's expected, it's a Republican state. But I think it probably was one of the best opportunities uh, for Democrats to pick up a race like this, a popular Democrat attorney general. Historically, that's been a good recipe for success, you know, whether it's in North Carolina or Roy Cooper's in office. In the past, it was Jay Nixon in Missouri or, or Bibi, uh, the former governor of Arkansas. Each of these were former attorney generals out there. Even in my state, before I was governor, Jim Doyle had done exactly that, had been uh, a relatively popular attorney general, had a statewide base, uh, wasn't just focused on the big Democrat areas, but was known across the state, and it was highly effective. Uh, and yet, even with all that, even with all the hype and hysteria, even with all the money out there, the Republican lieutenant governor was elected governor uh, of the state of Mississippi. Now, the big race is tomorrow. Uh, and I want to talk about that in just a minute. We're going to talk a little bit about what's going to happen in Louisiana, at least what I think is going to happen out there. And the final thing I want to wrap up with is a little bit of talk about Virginia and the story that the public is missing because the media is largely missing in action when it comes to places like Virginia. We're going to take a quick break. I'll be right back. I'm Scott Walker, and you can't recall courage. Hey, Scott Walker here, back on You Can't Recall Courage. So big race tomorrow is uh, after we talked about Kentucky and Mississippi having their elections for governor last week. Tomorrow, they have the ultimate runoff. That's the race uh, between the, uh, the Republican uh, who won uh, the runoff or won the opportunity in the primary to run off against Governor John Bell Edwards. Uh, this is unique. Typically, if you're going to get reelected, you, you get reelected by winning a majority, particularly when there's a number of people running off uh, against you in the opposing party. Edwards did not get the required 50%, so that's, you know, the vote tomorrow. Remember, he was a bit of a surprise to begin with. I mean, this is, uh, uh, you, you really you don't have Democrats in office in the South, uh, particularly in the Deep South. This is an area that's heavily, heavily leans towards President Trump. Remember four years ago, he won because it was just this ugly, ugly, ugly primary, uh, eventually won by former United States Senator David Vitter. Uh, but it was just a, really a big surprise, but it got ugly. I mean, so ugly so that Vitter uh, used his super PAC to go after the others in the primary. They got so angry that one stayed out of the race. The other actually endorsed the Democrat, Edwards at the time. Highly, highly negative. There was a big, big scandal about prostitution in Washington, and that got tied in with the Republican running at the time. And so Edwards got in. And on a number of issues, I mean, you might remember earlier this year, John Bell Edwards signed one of the most aggressive uh, pro-life uh, laws in the country, um, similar to some of those being to, uh, put in the place in places like um, Georgia. I uh, got a lot of backlash from Democrats on that. Uh, he's claimed to be both pro-life and pro-gun, which are two essential issues uh, in many states, but particularly in uh, Louisiana. Uh, but where the big mistake is, and where Republicans rightfully so are going after him, is he signed the biggest tax increase in state history. And they've harped on that. Some of the other things he's done to screw up some of the aid when it comes to storms in Louisiana, some of the other issues with people in his administration. It really is uh, one of those where... Uh, well, he's tried to position himself as kind of a moderate Democrat, if there are any of those left. Uh, we've seen an issue after issue after issue. This guy, really, when push comes to shove, not only on the issues, but, but particularly aligning with people like Hillary Clinton and others out there. So this will be a big, big test. You've got a private business, private sector guy uh, running against uh, 
a, a Democrat in Louisiana who's trying to position himself as moderate, uh, if not outright uh, leaning conservative on some issues, uh, but is really wrong on taxes. This will be a good test. This is uh, it, obviously any governor, no matter where he at, has a certain advantage being an incumbent. But this will be a real test and something to watch tomorrow. This is a Saturday uh, election. So uh, this will be one that uh, uh, a lot of people won't hear much about, maybe even at all, but particularly not until Monday or Tuesday next week. Tune in more. We'll give you some more insights on that. The final thing I just want to talk about, though, is when you talk about elections, Virginia was another one. Now, you had Tim Keene out there saying, oh, this is a big deal. You know, Democrats won and Republican drawn maps. Like so many things that Senator Tim Kaine says, they're only half true. There's some truth in there mixed in with either things intentional or not that he kind of misleads the public on. So Virginia, which has been trending Democrat statewide, in fact, Ed Gillespie, who was a remarkably good candidate for governor of Virginia, uh, lost uh, by uh, by nine percentage points, even though he got the largest amount of votes the Republicans ever got in the Commonwealth, uh, and that includes people who won like Bob McDonald and others out there. It just shows a huge shift, particularly in northern Virginia, which increasingly is just becoming another part of the District of Columbia. It's the deep state. It's all the folks who are causing all sorts of troubles for the Trump administration, overwhelmingly uh, some live in Maryland, but increasingly live in North Virginia. You got a little bit of pushback in the suburbs of Richmond and other areas, as you see in other suburban areas across the country next to larger communities. And so this is just one, though, where all those things are factors in statewide elections, but Republicans really need to wake up. I've said this before. It's part of the reason why I'm doing work with the National Republican Redistricting Trust, the NRRT.org, if you want to learn more about it. But this is one of those where, you know, the media, the general public are talking about the 2020 presidential election. They're talking about the impeachment discussions. You got people like Eric Holder, the former attorney general under Barack Obama, and his cronies out there. <coughs> Excuse me. I get choked up just hearing about it. They've been systematically out there working on redistricting. And what we saw in Virginia is another example of that. They claim to be against gerrymandering. They claim to be for fair maps. It's a bogus argument. Even the papers they file with the IRS with their organization says that they flat out want to give an advantage to the Democrats in the redistricting process. And Virginia is just the latest example. So Democrats take control of both chambers. Republicans before the election had slim margins in both the House of Delegates and in the state Senate. Um, but the reality is the media tried to say, oh, this is another example of, of the pushback on, on Republicans. But it really ignores the impact of the courts. So this all came about because Democrats, uh, just a few years back, brought a lawsuit against the Republican-drawn House of Delegates map. But interestingly, they didn't touch the map drawn by the Democrats because back in 2011, and this is where, um, again, Tim Cannon and others only give you part of the story. I'm going to give you the rest of the story. So Back in 2011, you've got split control of the legislature. House of Delegates controlled by Republicans, state Senate controlled by Democrats. They draw maps, and that's often the case, right or wrong. They drew maps that tended to uh, consolidate uh, their power. Uh, but you get Holder and this whole group, people like him out there on the, on the left, go into court, and they argue against these maps, but they only argue against the ones that Republicans benefit from, or at least perceived to. Uh, and they won. They, they got a court. Three-judge panel ruled on this. Two of the judges who just happened to be appointed uh, by former President Barack Obama 
amazingly sided with the Democrats. Appeals made to the U.S. Supreme Court, but amazingly as well, just talk about bad circumstances. The court said that the Republican-controlled House delegates lack standing, in part at least because they were only one part of one branch of government. So this decision, uh, the maps that they forced them to redraw, um, really tied up a number of key parts, key demographic, uh, geographical areas of, of, of Virginia. And in the end, it probably cost anywhere from three to five or three to four seats. Their margin of victory on election day was five. So they've got five seats. This is just one of those Republicans need to wake up. They're, they're doing it all over the country. Um, and they do it in many different forms. In this case, they did it in the courts with the federal court. It probably arguably cost as many as two House seats, not just in the House of Delegates, two House seats in the Congress. Um, we see them in federal courts in Texas, where it probably cost two seats. You see it in North Carolina. You see it in Pennsylvania. Even in places like uh, like Florida, we're um, dealing with uh, these bogus commissions in Arizona or California. Eric Holder's playing the long game. We, we saw it firsthand here in Wisconsin. They, in 2018, got involved in an open Supreme Court race where in Wisconsin's case, first time in 20 years, a liberal was elected to the Wisconsin Supreme Court, largely because of the help of people like Eric Holder. Their plan was to come back again this spring, win that election, and then finally to come in 2020 in the spring, when the election in April for the U.S. or excuse me for the state Supreme Court is on the same date same exact date as the presidential preference primary. So the hope for the left was you'd have all these people turning out in mass to support their respective candidates for president in the Democrat primary, and they would turn around and vote for the liberal on the state Supreme Court. Well, thankfully here in Wisconsin, we were able to stop that just barely. Brian Hagedorn, who used to be my legal counsel, who I appointed to the Court of Appeals, is now on the Wisconsin Supreme Court because we pushed back and woke people up at the last minute uh, when the left as they typically do, as they did with Kavanaugh and others, completely went off the deep end and, and overextended themselves. But it is just a reminder that, you know, when we think in the short term or when I talk to people about redistricting, they think that's something that's happening in 2021, and it is. They ignore the fact that the Democrats, people like Eric Holder, like to relitigate the past. He's trying to undo maps in Wisconsin, in Michigan, in Ohio, right now as we speak in North Carolina, where they took control of the court. They did it already in Pennsylvania, in Florida, in Texas, and all over the country. They're trying to undo maps that were done by legitimately elected officials uh, after the 2010 election in 2011. Undo them in the same way they tried to undo my election with a recall, in the same way they're trying to undo the 2016 election uh, with this whole bogus, ridiculous impeachment process. So Republicans got to wake up. If you want to learn more, go to thenrrt.org. That's the National Republican Redistricting Trust. Learn what's happening here. Get involved. Get engaged. It's one of those we got to push back. We're going to wake up and realize that people like Nancy Pelosi and the squad are in control of the United States House of Representatives for the next decade, and there's not a whole lot we can do about it. We can turn things around. We can make the case. You know, again, people forget that when Barack Obama was president, we had nearly 1,000 seats in state legislative bodies across America, 968 to be exact, were flipped from Democrat to Republican during the time Barack Obama was in office. In fact, in 2010 alone, two years after he took office, 20 legislative bodies were gained by Republicans out there. So there's a historical trend. It's just Democrats are taking advantage of that now 
And they're not so interested in, in who controls the legislature as they are in who draws the maps. Because for them, it's all about power. Uh, we talk a lot about policy. They tend to focus on power. Uh, we shouldn't give up our focus and attention on good, common-sense, conservative reforms on the policy side of things. But we've got to be engaged over this battle as to who controls the lines, because that's where the power is. And uh, this is one of those where we need your help, and we're going to keep fighting for it. So until next week, keep fighting for freedom. I'm Scott Walker, and you can't recall courage.